This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is the besotted pride of West London podcast. And and hold on a minute. I just had to uh, zip up my tent there as I've uh, I just had to sort of I've just got out my tent I've, I've left my stuff there luckily no one's been stealing from my tent I've been uh, I've been here the last week I mean I'm still back here in the Cross Keys pub um, I haven't been home since last week when we went to uh, when we had the, the Deadline Day podcast and uh, I thought instead of going home because I had such a good time we had, had such a good party we had so many beers in the end it was a brilliant Deadline Day it started off being terrible but in the end it was absolutely brilliant and I thought instead of going home I might as well put my tent up there's no foot on Saturday and I'll stay here in the Costa Keys for a week and I'll come back again for another podcast. Can I put... Oh, is, oh hold it. What, were you in my tent? What are you taking? Can I put this zip bag down now? No, no, it's a tent. Oh, is it? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, listen, just don't listen to him. I mean, I, I don't, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Anyway, listen, I'm Billy Grant here and I'm in the Cross Keys in Stamford. Brilliant pub, absolutely. It's like, like I said, one of these pubs is in the back streets. It's, you'd love to have it around the corner from you. You just slip in here. I'm sure they do a few lock-ins and all that kind of stuff. All that illegal stuff that they used to do back in the day. Um, absolutely teething tremendous they've taken really good care of us again today so if you're ever in the area come on down and say hello and say the besotted podcast sent you down and they'll look at you quizzically and say what you're talking about and but anyway they'll let you um they'll let you put a tent up in the garden yeah. <laughs> oh, you, can, you can smell the brewery from here as well you, you can smell the brewery as well actually if you go outside in the, in the garden but anyway we were here last week as i said the deadline day podcast and that podcast went absolutely potty everyone out there i mean if i was a market trader i would say we've got some extra special egyptian eucalyptus fruit on sale this week and they've been absolutely flying off the shelves it's been the busiest podcast we've had for over a year literally thousands and thousands and thousands of listens but anyway listen it's been a football free week i'm very well almost um for sure um i didn't go to malta uh, i cancelled my hotel yet again 
but I did go to Wembley on Saturday. 66,000 England fans there. Um, it's, it makes me laugh, actually, because people are moaning, going, oh, my God, there's no one at Wembley. I mean, not be funny, there's 66,000. What other international team has, like, more than 50, 60, 65, 70, 75,000 fans at a football match? No one, no one that awful gets 70,000 fans. I know that. <laughs> that, is, that, is, I mean, that is true, and that, that is a point of discussion, maybe in another podcast, not in the Pride of West London podcast, maybe the, the Pride of Northwest London podcast. The pod, well, maybe we can start that one up next week when we read the Pride of um, West Midlands podcast last week, didn't we? We did, yes. Um, uh, and, yeah, we're still smarting from that a little bit, aren't we? Well, I mean, I've, I've, I've forgotten about it and I've moved on. That's why I camped in here over a week. But anyway, but listen... Like I said to you, Wembley, brilliant. Price is reasonable. 20 is plenty. Only 20 quid to get into Wembley. 10 quid for kids. I mean, if you ever look at, you know, go to Sheffield next Wednesday and it's still 30 quid up there and it's 20 quid to get into Wembley, OK, you may not ultimately love the football, but I think it's a good vibe and it's all great. But anyway, and Slovakia, I thought they actually played some decent football. It kind of reminded me of Brentford. They, part- well, they, they reminded me exactly of Brentford. I, I, I started watching it and I, I thought, my God, this is this is a really kind of expansive team. Really, really nice control. Really trying to nick the ball off of the you know the the, the favourites and take the game to them. And, and they, they fully deserve their lead. And not put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah. Yeah. Well, possibly. You know, I thought. Wow. Well, <laughs> they, they weren't that wasteful. <laughs> they did get a goal and I'm being slightly facetious there anyway but anyway but listen at the end of the day which is all good but this week on the Pride of West London podcast we've gone for a slight change of style we thought after last week's madness of deadline day oh no god somebody's come inside and they're actually they're drying their hair they're normal that's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> this, this tent doesn't offer very good that's right no no let's, that's, yeah that's the, that's, that's the normal that's going off but anyway listen we just thought after last week's mad likeness of deadline day where there were literally grown men crying with the sale of Hotter to Birmingham alongside Dean or Colin um, um, actually that didn't prompt that much crying it has to be said well, we thought we're getting a man who knows more about Brentford's signing policy and, and how we go about our business and our scouting and signing than anyone else in uh, this pub. <laughs> so our special, special guest this week is James Tibbet. He's the author of The Football Code, which is out in all good bookstores today, Thursday the 7th of only September. Amazon, only, Amazon. only on Amazon. But it's a good bookstore anyway. Yeah, it's right. a very, very good bookstore. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, James used to work for Start Smart Odds, which is Matt Benham's company. Uh, which generates the stats which Brentford uses to identify a player. How James does much, much more than that. He's going to tell us about it in a bit. James, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming down. And uh, are you enjoying, I mean, I noticed that you're drinking a glass of white wine there, which is quite unusual amongst our podcast guests. You're obviously, you know, you've got up in the world and you've been, you've been obviously drinking and eating with a different type of clientele than us. I know, controversial, very controversial. No. You know, so listen, anyway, but James, we'll come back to you in a bit and you're going to tell us all about stats and football and all sorts of stuff and we'll just be ploughing you with questions. Also beside me, and you heard him, he was inside my tent a little bit earlier trying to steal me, uh, me, 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 me pilchards, is, uh, is Dave Lane. Laney, how are you? I didn't touch your pilchards <laughs> in, your, in your dreams. <laughs> Mackerel, perhaps, <laughs> not pilchards. That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm alright, actually. I'm alright. I'm, I'm, I'm not that happy about the weather, I must admit. I was happy with sunshine and summer. It's, it's 
turning. Um, when the new football season arrives, it means it's the start of winter. And although you know the first couple of games have been warm and stuff, I think it's like it's showing that we're in for a in for a long, hard, frosty one. Hard, hard, yes. International break. Were you, did you have a good break for the international? Because I didn't see you at Wembley on Monday night. Um, you didn't join us and the and the lads and lasses on Monday night. You just gave it a bit of a swerver, didn't you? I did. I, yeah, yeah, I've not been to see an England game since um, since well. Yeah, since the Welsh game in in Lons, um, I'm, I'm keeping I'm keeping out of it. To be honest with you, it's uh, I, I I don't I can't associate with this England England team. Um, I think they're poor, um, and I just I, I've just fallen completely out of love with England football. I mean, I've been around the world following them for. 20 odd years and there's nothing nothing I see um, with, with you know England um, at the moment makes me enthusiastic and although I'd rather be at the game than listening to Glenn Hoddle because Glenn Hoddle absolutely does my nothing Listen, Glenn. You know he's got some. He's got he's got a couple of points there that he'd like to share with people. But Savvy B, I mean, forgetting about England, I mean, it's all about the Greeks for you, isn't it, Savvy? Uh, no, no. I mean, I think they might miss out on the playoffs this year. But um, how's Cyprus doing? Cyprus are not doing that well either. They're in the same group, actually, Greece and Cyprus. So it's, it's a bit like the Eurovision, where they give each other points. But uh, yeah, I think I think we'll probably miss out on the playoffs this year. So I mean, so you didn't do any of that kind of nonsense. So your international week has been quite relaxed. I mean, after the, you know, the Wolves game, you know, and we were quite, we should have won that, but we'll probably talk about that in a little bit. You've had time to sort of have a little bit of downtime. I mean, what you've been up to or thinking about, or have you been out with boats or famous people? Or I mean, what has your vibe been? Yeah, well, uh, we uh, last night I was actually in the Brentford area, and I was uh, very tempted to pop in to see the B team. But uh, we was at Waterman's uh, launching our boat yard film, and uh, the 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 sort of the white wine and the samosas started flowing. So, and it was raining outside. So I thought I'd just stay in there. So I missed the B team, which sounds like it was a good idea to miss. Yes, and that's the B team actually played uh, QPR last night. Um, they lost 3-0, it was uh, broadcast on YouTube as well, and there's a few Bees fans went down there, and like I said, that was the first game that they've lost in quite a while, I think uh, they've won seven or eight in a row, about seven in a row I think it is, so it's the first game they lost in a while, but to be fair, QPR may not be the one, they may be slightly bogeyish because myself and Laney went to the QPR game away in Harlington, where uh, I bumped into Ian Holloway, you know, who was ranting behind me, I think he's probably ranting the fact that, you know, we'd rumbled him for the fact that he actually kind of told us that we were going to finish 24th last season. But um, anyway, Ian Holloway is behind us and Brentford lost in that game. I think it's either 2-0 or 2-1 as well. So QPR, a little bit of a bogey on the B team, the real B team side. However, our other B team goes and smashes up their A team. So, uh, you know, things swinging around the bowels. But anyway, listen, let's get on with this now because, like I said to you, we've got lots and lots to talk about now. We're going to talk about Brentford. We're going to talk about that transfer window a little bit. We're going to look forward to Aston Villa and we're going to talk about how Brentford keep ahead of the pack by utilising all sorts of like higgery piggery jokery bone hokey pokey kind of stuff witchcraft apparently it's witchcraft stuff to actually keep ourselves ahead of the pack so no one else could come near us we've got a wizard he's right in the house his name is the tippet so smart odds and brentford it's a marriage that's come together but what really is it all about um, so Smart Odds is Matthew Benham's betting consultancy, which he founded back in 2005. Um, the betting consultancy collect match data, which Benham uses in one capacity to inform the company's betting and to sell to professional gamblers who use the data to uh, make money on football matches, in the same kind of way that Opta sell data to um, 
football clubs. Benham sells smart odds data to gamblers. Um, he also uses the match data to sign players for Brentford FC to kind of highlight these hidden gems, the undervalued players, which, uh, which we've founded our success on the last three years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So I mean, so in effect, so basically, I mean, we know Matt Bennett is, is a professional gambler, so he doesn't actually gamble himself, then, does he? No, no, no. So he, so the company has four departments essentially. Um, the first department is the one I work for, which is one who collect the match data. They collect this innovative pioneering statistics based on the expected goals method, which I'm sure we'll get into a, uh, a bit later on. And uh, then the second department kind of analyzes the data and draws conclusions from it. The third department is the department which uh, analyzes the bookmakers' odds and kind of compare the uh, two assessments of the probabilities of the um, odds and then place bets and stuff. I'll, I'll get into all this a bit later on. It might be a bit confusing, but yeah. So, I mean, so, so it's interesting because so it's basically it's broken down. It seems like he, they've, they've, they've got these people who come in, who you're a part of. They get all this information from somewhere. They've got a load of bods out there who no one knows who they are. We don't know who they are. Yeah. And they go to them, here you are, mate. If you want to have part of this, it's going to cost you X amount of money or do they take a percentage or something like that? And basically... They employ a load of people to um, give information to these people to try and make more money. So instead of him going, so it's not public facing at all. So the public, I mean, if I wanted to turn up there and say, oh, excuse me, can I be part of this? It won't happen, will it? You could do that, but you'd need a lot of money. You need to be a big high rolling client who would go in and purchase this data to use to you know, inform your gambling. Um, and the, the company has, the company places like millions of pounds worth of bets each year, kind of. Um, on various leagues so like I would collect data on kind of I did a couple of Premier League games but then a lot of what I would do would be kind of the Azerbaijan third of the division and stuff where you just watch players like kick the crap out of each other for 90 minutes and uh, this is actually where the this is actually where the uh, value can be found in the market because in the in the Premier League if Ben wants to place a match on Premier League uh, a bet on a Premier League match then kind of you know there's so much coverage of it that you can't really find any edge whereas in these obscure divisions is where you um where you find, where you can use your kind of edge to make money. That's interesting as well. And then the, the, you also talked about data and you said unusual data. Now, I mean, again, we've done quite a lot of research into this. We've written quite a lot of articles in this, uh, on, on the piece on the, in, in the information piece here. We'll put some links to some articles that are on before as well, which link back to how Brentford do their scouting and stuff. But like I said, you're giving us a bit of a thought here. Now I'm saying unusual data. You could go to Opta if you wanted to. We could go to all these other companies and buy them off the shelf. But from what I can be gathered, Brentford basically owns its own data and it doesn't sort of tell anybody else what it is. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah, so Benham's whole philosophy is founded on this form of data collection called the expected goals method, which isn't necessarily unique. Um, kind of in the, When I started writing the book two years ago, uh, you can only really find expected goals data like in the very niche football analytics community. Only the true football analysts would know about it. And in the last two years, like in the, as I've been kind of working and publishing this book, um, it's come into the foreground. Now it's actually used on Match of the Day, uh, BBC's Match of the Day, and Sky are starting to use it as a form of data collection. But anyway, so, Be- so Smart Odds found their whole success, and Brentford's whole success has been found on this metric called the expected goals method, which I've written about a lot on my website. It's quite complicated to explain, but I'll have a go if you want. Um, so basically, when you when you come away from a football match, for example, like Brentford Ipswich, where we lost, like you come away and you think we should have won that. Um, and what do you you base that opinion on the chances that the teams created and like how many good opportunities did we have to score? The expected goals method is basically a way of quantifying this and measuring not only the quantity of shots that each team takes but also the quality. 
Um, and it really is like the most powerful metric like you can use. It completely strips like randomness from the game, allows you to see who, which teams are actually good and which teams have simply been lucky. And this is how Benham has been able to make money. Is um, kind of you know when you can see which teams have been good and which have been lucky, you can make money through betting on the teams who the bookies have undervalued, and you can sign players by looking at the teams who are actually really good, but no one really knows because they've just been really unlucky, and sign players from them. And, yeah, I mean that's interesting. So I mean you were talking about the Ipswich match, so. Say, for example, you might be saying that you might have 25 shots, right? And you turn around and say, oh, we should have won that game, 25 shots. But with this expected goals uh, method scenario, you might get a completely different stats situation out of that, which, you know, which, which may actually show you to be either maybe better or, or, or worse than that. Is that right? Yeah, completely. But um, the main thing is normally you look at, like, you know, we had 12 shots to their nine shots. But that, that doesn't tell you how good the shots were. Obviously, if... Ipswich have eight efforts from the halfway line. I'm not saying it's happened, but if Ipswich had eight shots from the halfway line, Brentford had eight penalty misses, clearly Brentford are the better team. They've created much better chances. Um, but that won't be reflecting the data. So expected goals is a much more profound, powerful metric which you can use to assess the ability of football teams. So, you, so you're waiting for, or, or, the, the, or Benham's waiting for their, for their luck to run out? Is that, is that right? So, I mean, like, going into that game, we knew that you know, Ipswich had been lucky up until that point and we'd been unlucky to that point. So the bet would be that our luck is going to flip and their, their luck's going to flip and we'll get a true reflection of the two teams? Yeah, a, a team who are performing extraordinarily well, by definition, are going to revert to an ordinary level of performance. It's called regression to the mean, and I talk about it a lot in the book. Um, for instance, Brentford this season have been very unlucky we've got two points from five games we're second bottom of the league but the expected goals models which you see kind of dotted about all say that Brentford should be a lot higher like I saw one today which said we should be eighth in the league based on the kind of the quality of chance we've been creating and conceding like and, it, and you can draw interesting conclusions like for example everyone's been going about how bad our defense is like our defense is a shambles the expected goals model says actually our defense really isn't that bad we've just been unlucky in the sense we've conceded basically all the chances that have gone against us and we haven't scored many chances um, that we've had so kind of yeah you're, 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 you're waiting for luck to run out but so in the bookmakers eyes Brentford will probably be undervalued at this point because they might I mean bookmakers probably use the expected goals method as well but you kind of look at league table and see oh Brentford are rubbish at 23rd but then if you look at expected goals model table it'll tell you actually Brentford are performing quite well which has been very unlucky and yeah. Okay, interesting. I mean, and, and maybe translated in expected goals basically means, you know, when you watch a game, I mean, we all go to a game and we say, oh my God. I mean, people are saying this to us as now, where they're saying, oh, Brentford haven't had a great start. We say, actually, we haven't been playing that bad. We've been playing all right. We've had some good chances. We've hit the post so many times. Sheffield United, we hit the post. I think Nottingham Forest, we hit the post. We've hit the post so many times. We've had opportunities. Hotter missed that goal against Wolves, where it's easier to put it into the back of the net. It's very hard to explain that to people when they look at the score. But on the flip side of it, and I hear what you're saying about the expected goals and the stats and this, that, the other, some people will turn around and say, not be funny, but the only stat that matters at the end of the day are goals at the back of the net. And if you've got somebody, and say for example, expected goals, you only have two chances, but you put both those chances in the back of the net and you win those two games, then you've done better than the team that hasn't. 
Well, I think Brentford are kind of banking on those people to keep thinking that because they're wrong, essentially. Um, and that's how Brentford managed to find their edge and that the footballing world has a kind of disease <laughs> that um, we only look at the scoreline generally. And if we don't, we look at stats like possession, which don't really, they're more descriptive. They tell you how the game played out, but not which team was better. Like, you know, For example, like Leicester won the league with like the worst possession and passing stats that the division had ever seen. Um, so yeah, I think basically the expected goals method just tells you which teams are good and which are simply lucky and at the end of the day that allows you a massive edge in recruiting players or placing bets it just allows you to be more right about football generally and that's that's kind of the main thing the book uh, kind of promotes so so us so us punching up, no, no punching above our weight I mean people talk about us punching above our weight does Brentford is, is this right about us punching above our weight because at the end of the day is um, we're talking about finances. A lot of this comes down to finances. We can forget about the betting side of things now. And we're going to come on to this a little bit later where we talk about other, other teams. We spend X amount of money and we get a certain amount of players in. But what we do is that we seem to perform better than the money that we have spent. Now, how is this factored into the whole smart odds thing? And um, us punching above our weight, um, I mean, we're, we're quite happy about this, but can this continue? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, an extract from a book went kind of did the rounds on Twitter the other day, which said that Brentford are twenty first in the league table for uh, wages spent, which is obviously the key indicator of like how well a team performs. Like teams who have massive wages, like Liverpool and Chelsea and Man United, are going to perform much better than teams like kind of Burnley and teams who are poor. Anyway, Brentford's wages are very, very low, but we are able to compete with those who are financially like heavyweights because we have a new and innovative way of thinking which they don't that's our edge that's what allows us to keep and to keep competing in this division which we probably shouldn't be competing in is the fact that we can use smart odds and their data to find undervalued players like Andre Gray Scott Hogan Jota Odebarjo Woods like virtually every Brentford player we picked up for minimal money and is now worth much more than um, kind of we paid for them and that, that's how football is all about just recruitment, I, I, I believe. I think tactics are a large part, but I think the players you have on the pitch ultimately decide how successful you are. And we've got the, one of the best recruitment teams in England, if not Europe. Um, that, is that kind of answering your question? Yeah, I mean, it is. And, and just coming back to it as well, because um, you're talking about, you know, you, I mean, you're talking about how the... You're talking about how the But I say coming back to it as well, you know, you talk about recruitment and recruitment is we've got one of the best recruitment teams um you say in the league. But the problem that we have is we've got these great players but they've always they're always gonna go. We always have to because the fact is that we can't hold on to them because what we do is we identify them, we get pick them up from not very much, we pay them relatively not very much. After two years or three years when the contract runs out, somebody comes in, buys them, and we have to do it. So we have to always be on the ball. We have to always be on the ball to pick up the next great player. And I know that you could say, oh, yeah, well, Andre Gray, after we had Hogan, then we got Vibay, and, you know, it keeps going on. But all you need is to drop the ball once, and we are in a bit of a pickle because every time we do this, we are actually taking more of a risk, maybe, maybe you might correct me, than the, the other teams because if you've got slightly more money and you know somebody's quality... You know, you say that player's really quality, but we can't afford him. Whereas for us, we play less, but we go potentially 
he's a good player. We're going to pay that money potentially, but there's always a risk that it may not work out. We have probably had a percentage that most of them worked out more than... But maybe if we had one time, because we're always gambling, where it goes horribly wrong, then that may see us in a bit of a pickle, no? Yeah, 100%. Brentford can't afford to make too many expensive mistakes. We're not in a position like Villa where you can just spend as much money as you want, you'll still be fine. We, we've got to think smartly if we're going to keep competing. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say now. Yeah, but I mean, it's not even expensive mistakes. I mean, like, say, for example, if, you know, if we get rid of Potter and, and Malpay and Watkins and, you know, the new players that come through don't quite work out... We're not, well, never go at them because at the end of the day, they've had many opportunities where the players have come through and they've been right. But the fact is that, you know, what I'm saying is that if you're playing this game, it's always, it's always going to be a gamble. And obviously, Matt is a gambler. So he's great at gambling. So, and he kind of wins probably over the, in the long term. But aren't, aren't we in a position where sometimes it might go horribly wrong, which may cost us? But that's where you've got to have faith in our recruitment and just think, you know what, like the, the model. The model works and we are really good at highlighting great players who we can get for cheap. Um, the other aspect I will talk about, and this will probably cause some debate uh, on the pod, is the kind of there are two parts to Benham's philosophy. Firstly, buying undervalued players and like recruiting really well. But secondly, I believe, and I believe Benham believes as well, that we should be kind of almost eager to sell our best players when they become overvalued, eager to like offload for good money. Um, when, when a player's been performing really well and clubs are willing to pay big money for him, then we should be looking to cash in on that and get money. Football's almost, it's almost like doing football like a stock market, like a kind of portfolio where you trade players for money and try and always upgrade your squad and always upgrade your financial situation because at the end of the day, that's what, wins, that what, that's what makes you win in football. I think, I mean, that, that makes sense. Um, but we've, we've also got this other problem that we also lose 10 or 13 million pounds a year. So we've always got to make that up. So it's not like we can sell Hogan for 15 million and spend 15 million. We can sell Hogan for 15 million, put 10 away uh, to, to pay for all the cost we've got and use 5 million. At the moment, it's working because, you know, with those 5 million, you're picking up Mope and Watkins and Mokotjo, which is, you know, a great... Three great players for five million pounds. It, it, it does seem that every, you know, every every time we sell two or three, in this case, of our better players, we are reinvesting in four or five new rookies um, of of you know uh, uh, who have immediately got skill. You can tell that almost all of this recent cohort have got something to offer. Um, so, but we're also up against this traditional fan base. This is a is a is a very entrenched, very um, yeah traditional way of looking at football. And I guess that that, that there lies the culture clash. It's a it's a new world of looking at statistics and evaluating players and looking at results versus um, fans or and and more important and also media who look at anything that's different as a threat. You know, do, does do you do you kind of? I don't want to mean you mock. I don't. I don't mean you laugh. But do you, when when someone says something really traditionally, kind of almost like a cliche, do you kind of go, you know, you say, you know, how outdated? How outdated are some of the more established ways of looking at football? Yeah, I don't. I don't know about that. Football's definitely becoming a lot smarter in its methods of analysis. There aren't too many transfers nowadays, especially at the top clubs, where you look at it and go like, "What is going on there?" But um, there's still a lot to kind of come in terms of an analytics, 
like taking football and it goes back to the stats thing about like expected goals like this is the new way of doing it and traditional stats just don't cut anymore if you're looking at recruitment and things um, yeah does that kind of answer your question well yeah it does it does answer but you know you're always going to come up against um, a, a huge amount of people that will say yes um, we should have beaten um, Wolves we had X amount of great chances and in normal circumstances four of them would have found the back of the net and they'll go and we had 60% of possession we had this and we had that they'll say but you still lost 1-0 and they're, 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 it's ingrained in people to knock what is has made Matthew Benham successful and what has made Brentford push, punch over their weight so do you find that people are waiting for it to fail all the time? I mean, like Martin Semmel is a prime example who's a journalist. Yeah, 100%. I think, um, yeah, I think people are slow to adapt, especially football. Football's so entrenched in its ways that it's very hard to make change. And I think all sports are like this, but football especially. And I think other countries have, have adopted data as a, like more readily than England. And I think everyone's still lacking, lacking a bit behind. But as I say... The book is trying to promote this new philosophy where it's not all about the result. You look at the performance rather than the result. And this is, you see what Rasmus Ankerson and Phil Giles say in the media, and it's all about, like, oh, it's all about performance, not result. You've got to look at how well we're doing, like, on the pitch. Okay, right. And listen, I'm going to hang on that exactly what you've said there. And it's coming back to what Laney said, is, uh, which is great because the thing about it is that we're, you know, we're quite open minded Brentford fans. So if we come off, we've been beaten 2 0, we look at the performance, we think, brilliant performance there, we lost 2 0. And then the next week, brilliant performance, we lost 1 0. Brilliant performance we lost 3-0 whereas at the end of the day and about six games down the line when you've lost them all in a row you sort of think you know we've been playing really well but we've lost six games in a row where actually you're thinking it is actually about the result because football is about the result because it's about the league table and where you've got so the question I'm asking there is that if you keep doing this all about the result that's fine but at the end of the day what is the end result are you saying it's all about the result because we're going to get the result we want at the end of the day or are you just saying it's just all about the result do you understand what I'm saying no exactly but um, Matthew Benham always has always said he'll never sack a Brentford manager on their performance uh, on their results he'll always look at their performances so if Brentford we've not done well in his opening five games a lot of fans uh, calling for Dean Smith's head or like some aren't getting on a Dean Smith bandwagon like Benham will look at the performances and say actually looking at the stats expected goals we're actually doing really well so like there's nothing you, you can't all you can do as a football manager or as a football team is give yourself the best probability of winning and then just let luck take the reins like you, you cannot control luck and football unfortunately is a game where there's so much luck and that's what it's kind of all about has anyone ever got relegated with good predictive gold stats? I, I can't draw to my mind any relegated teams who have been doing really well, but I can draw several who have been very lucky and who have been performing very badly on these kind of expected goal models, but who happened to do really well. For example, like Leicester winning the Premier League, they almost certainly didn't deserve to win the Premier League. They were kind of eighth in most models where uh, you look at the kind of chance they create and how, many, how, how well they're performing, they didn't deserve that, but... Obviously, luck takes the reins. You, you score a good, few good chances. It also happens with players. Sorry, and when you say, just come back to this, because luck is, I mean, talk about luck. We I hear it flying around. The, you know, there's a training room. There's like, you know, the director of football. You know, Matt talks about it. There's people in that area. They talk about luck. I mean, how big is luck in that? Because you talk about luck in an almost like throwaway way. So it's almost like we've got our stats. 
we've got our luck. So the stats say we should win, but the luck hasn't made us win. So it's kind of like thrown in there as a little bit of an excuse, or is it a real? Has luck got real value? Luck, luck is a huge thing in football. Football is all about luck, and with luck comes risk, and that's what Brentford are trying to do: is minimise their risk and pay attention to the probabilities. Like, and luck does even out over time. When you get a huge sample, obviously the damaging effects of luck are kind of removed. When we reached the playoffs with Warburton, I think we were lucky then. Like most models said, I think we were just below the playoff standard, and we happened to slip in there because of a bit of good luck. Um, this season, obviously, we've been incredibly unlucky. Uh, luck is a huge thing, and. It's not just an excuse, I think. Is that kind of... No, no, I, I, I do understand. And I'm just, I'm just interested because, like I said to you, it's, it's very easy to sort of say we didn't score the goals we wanted to because we were unlucky. And I understand that. But at the end of the day, you kind of like, when does the, kind of, when does the luck come in? Does it even itself out over a, a year or six months or two years or five years? You know, we talk about sample sizes. When does it come in? Well, that's why they say don't pay attention to the league table until at least after 10 games, because the sample size is just too small. Like, right now, you can't tell how good any team is. Like, Cardiff are top right now. They could end up getting relegated. We're 23rd. We could, like, there's so much football left to be played. And, like, obviously, we've been very unlucky. But by the 46th game, if we're still 23rd, we obviously haven't been unlucky. We've been bad. Um, 46 games is still a very small, like, not very small, but it, it is still a small enough sample size for luck to have a considerable difference. Like, like... Teams get relegated or promoted based on like one point the whole time, and if you think about it, one point is nothing. One point's like, as, as Brentford fans know, like a last-minute penalty miss on the last kick of the season. That that is luck. Like, um, and it doesn't just happen with teams as well. It's also players. Players can be incredibly incredibly lucky. I talk in the book about Michu at Swansea and how he had one great season. Um, and you know Arsenal bid 27 million for him or whatever and Swansea rejected it so he wanted like over 30 or something ridiculous like that and then his luck regressed to the mean he went back to being an indifferent footballer and yeah is that, and it's interesting and I know Sav wants to chat again but just, again because I forget my things because I've been camping for a week my brain gets a little bit fried you know out there in the cold but you know is that like say for example what happened with um um, Diego Raga, you know, who was everyone sort of loved and he was great and he had a brilliant season, you know, for one season. But then after when it came to that following season, Brentford wanted to get rid of him. Was it the fact that, you know, for years he was kind of like quite average and he had a really good season? And was it kind of like that was the season where all his chips had come in and Brentford thought, not be funny, he's 27, 28 and trying to get rid and maybe his luck's coming, he's not going to have another season like that. Is that is that right? Yeah, it happens the whole time. And it's a, the thing that Benham tries to do is spot what is luck and what is real. That's what I talk about the expected goal method but for example Scott Hogan had a fantastic beginning to last season and the end of the season before that meaning that like he was quite lucky like he was a great player but he was also quite lucky and Ben and you know and Brentford kind of looked to spot players who have been lucky because they'll be overvalued by other teams and that's when you should sell them so for example we've sold Jota just after he's a great season he'll probably go to Birmingham you know is he going to keep carry on performing like incredibly like he has done the last couple of months? Probably not. Like we've probably done well to sell him. Like same with Scott Hogan. Kind of Andre Gray is a different one because his he, he did actually t- end up being really good. Like his luck didn't regress to the mean. But, but yeah, the the trick is to spot when players are being lucky and sell them after that. Interesting as well. So listen, we've been talking about Brentford. We've been talking about smart odds. And we're going to be start talking a few other bits and pieces. We might do a little bit more delving now to find out about Brentford's recruitment system and exactly how it works. So transfer window 
Transfer deadline day was last week and transfer window is shut. So now Brentford can get back to their tricks. They can get back to the game that they had because that window was horrible for us. We never seem to perform decently in a window because we're too nervous that people are going to steal our players. And talking about stealing our players, I mean, like I said, window shut and we had a few players that have gone and uh, we're moving forward. But I have to ask you guys something, you know what I'm saying? Because it's something that has just been really bugging me. How do you think? We've got a game on Saturday. How do you think that we're going to perform without the man Hotter? Who? Who? Hot? Who? Jota? You remember him? No, 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 no. Listen, don't you remember? He's, um, he played down the wing. He's absolutely fantastic for Brentford. He really got people really happy. You don't remember? No, I'm not sure, mate. Uh, actually, hold on a second. I've got a photograph. Hold on a second. Hold on a minute here. I've got a it's a photograph of him. He's like long hair. You seen it? You seen? Ah, oh, him. You remember? Oh, the one with the um, the thing. Yeah, the one with the long hair. Now, what happens is he played a really great game. He really got the crowd enthused. Oh, he got. The... Didn't he? Um, Fulham. He, that's right. He scored a goal in the last minute against Fulham for Brentford. And the fans really oh, loved him oh, for it. Do, do you mean the one-footed show pony? Well, he had one foot, but he was also very, very good. Like you know what I'm saying. So, but I'm just wondering. I mean, it's very difficult. Ah, the second best player we've ever had. Well, according to some people, he was actually the best player that we've ever had. But it's quite difficult if, if you can't actually remember who he is. But question I'm going to ask you is that: um, How do you think is that Brentford? You know, imagine that you know we had one of the best players that we ever had, and they were removed from the wing side. How is Brentford going to be performing now without them? We've got some new players in Malpay. We've got Watkins. Um, he was on the wing. So if this player that you can't remember was being removed from the wing, who do you think is going to be playing out in his place? Ah, there's another Spaniard. Apparently, and there's a, a, a Dutchman. Um, I think I think we've got options. I, th- I think I think we've said last week, and you know, going back onto a bit of a serious tip, life life goes on. Brentford is not about one player or three players. Brentford will continue. Um, you know, that's the upshot of what James has just been talking about is that we we have to have faith in the recruitment. We have to have recru- we have to have faith in the ability to identify new new talent. And we we've had, you know, what's left at Brentford is five or six really exciting summer signings. You know, I I I think you know I'd, I'd agree that Colin was probably one too many to go in the last transfer window. But you know, Dean and Yotta, you know. They had a, you know less than a year left on their contract, and we got good money for them considering. So you know, I think I think we'll cope, and I think I go to Aston Villa on, a, on in quite a positive mood, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think we've still got three fantastic wingers, and Joseph Soon, Canyos, and Watkins. Watkins has been playing on the wing since the beginning of the season. Um, and like you know, if one of them's out of form, then just bring another one in and chop it and change it. And they're they're all exceptional players. And you think back to. Kind of the first half of last season, we didn't have any wingers. We had no wingers whatsoever. We had Sawyer's playing in Hogan in behind their defence, and that was literally our attack. It was, and you just got to think how far we've come actually. Like to have three fantastic wingers is is, and is good. There's Clark as well. There's, there's Clark yeah. as well, who's you know a, a, another. I, I think by, by looking at Sav's <laughs> face, I, I think he he was going to say cheers. Yeah. No, I've, I've been a I've been a champion of Clark for quite a while. Wasn't I, I wasn't I just at first. Mentioned him. Yes, no, but uh, genuinely I wasn't at first. But uh, I I do actually, uh, I think towards the end of last season he came in and did a really good job, and I do like Clark. And you see him against QPI. He did he did some superb work there. Scored a lovely goal. 
And uh, yeah, I think you know we've we've got four genuine winger type people, or at least wide men, and, and, and people and are Dow, judged. Dow's gone. <laughs> but we've also got Judge to come back as well. Uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, and then again, I've come back to you, and I'm trying to sort of, kind of like, you know, trying to sort of instill this into your memory banks because it's obviously gone. But this this hotter character that we had um, he, on his day, he was really brilliant. But there's also an argument to say that when he was not on his day, and there's an argument again to say that we were playing with sort of kind of nine and a half, maybe ten players for the first month of the season. When he's not on his day, um, he's not, you know, it, 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 it's a bit of a it's a, it's a bit of an issue because he he is quite like a lot of the other players in the league, correct? I mean, all, all wingers are luxuries to some some extent. But uh, no, if you actually look at, uh, I, I won't say look at the stats because I haven't looked at the stats, but I do remember that I think four of our first five goals this season were created by him. Yeah, and, he's got uh, Yeah, and he, and he, you know, and he's, he's been involved in in those corners that we did because they were short corners, and you know he's been very effective for pretty much every goal we scored. So it's just unfortunate that uh, we've only got two points out of all of that. The one thing I would say about Hotter is he is very one-footed, and this is quite obvious, but all he does was cut, cut in on his left foot and go for goal or put in a crossover. And as soon as teams... It was fine last season when kind of he'd just come back and teams hadn't really worked it out yet. But even this season, you see, when teams start to work it out and try and put him on his right foot, he, he's a lot less potent kind of going forward. You know, if you put a player like Bibwell in front of him, he's obviously going to do all right. But um, you know, no, but you know, we, it's, it's going back to this thing I was talking about last week, and you know, we touched upon today. You know, he 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 had a very very good second part of his first season. Then he went AWOL. Um, then he came back and he was on fire. You know, our opposition sussing him out, possibly. And it's going back to this meme. It's it's you look at him over all of his appearances, and he's been better than average. Harley Dean. You know, he's had he, he makes mistakes and he and he can also have a really excellent game. Overall, I think he's an inspirational player rather than a great defender. And then Colin, I'm still gutted about it, if I'm really honest with you. I, I think he was a player that we, we, we needed to keep for a long time. Yeah, I mean I think what I'm most gutted about with Colin is that he's gone to the same team as Hotter. Because those two play brilliantly together and it's just really unfortunate that they've got that extra bargain. By, by snapping them both up. If you buy, uh, you know, a, a sort of antique vase for fifty pounds in an antique store, if there was a pair, there'd be one hundred and fifty, not just two lots of fifty, because a pair is much more valuable. And by getting those two together, I think they've got a bargain. I'm, I'm just wondering as well. I mean, and, and you've got a fair point there with the old uh, uh, you know, Ant- antiques roadshow. Antiques roadshow. <laughs> so that's right. So have you can see, you can see, you can see what he does on a Sunday afternoon. You know what I'm saying? You know, he's not getting out for walks or anything like that. He's sitting in front of the TV and antiques roadshow. But um, I'm just gonna just come back to this. Like you know, when the window has shut. Um, what are we looking at now? What are we looking at our team? Because a couple of candlesticks, maybe. That's right. As a savvy, he's, he's got the catalogue out, like you know. But, I mean, but what exactly are we looking at here? Because uh, what, what I'll say is that last week there was a lot of crying. There's a lot of unhappiness. There's a lot of like. There's a lot of people that weren't happy about what's going down. Listen, 
forget the logical side. We've got James in here to, who gives us the logical edge. We sometimes do logical, but we flip between logical and emotional, like, you know? And the fact is that, hey, yeah, I love, I love this guy, Hotto. I thought he was brilliant, you know what I'm saying? And the fact he went, even though we knew he was going to go, I mean, we wrote about it a month and a half ago. Hotto's probably going to go. Dean's going to go. Colin's going to go. We wrote about it. We filmed outside their house. But still, when they went, there was all sorts of, it was like the wailing walls of Babylon, like, you know what I'm saying? There's all sorts going on, like, we we're very, very unhappy about that. So what I'm trying to say to you is, but now, it's almost like, you know, you break up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you wait a couple of days, you get over it, you go out, you have a couple of drinks, you meet a couple of other people, and all of a sudden, we're, hey, the party's back on. Well, the- and so, you know, you forget about it to a certain extent. And like, Hota, Colin Dean, they've gone. History. We need to get over it. The heartbreak's gone. And you start looking at what you've got rather than what you've had. What have we got? Well, the way I like to look at it is if, like, you've had a complete set of Wedgwood china and you've dropped a saucer and it's, de- and it's devalued the rest of the set. But, but has it? That's the question. And this is where I feel like to, to, to James as well, because is the rest of the set devalued? Or what happens is that have you bought a set from the old um, flea market around the oh, American flea market around the corner, which you bought for 50p, but then you bring it to the next dealer, he goes, blimey, that, that, that stuff that you bought for 50p is actually worth sort of kind of 2,500 £2, pounds. You've done very well here. What have we got at the moment, James? Do you think that we have got the value again? You know, in these new players coming through, that we can, we will forget about what we sold in in a matter of a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think we've lost a very important antique in Hotter, but we've got more than enough antiques left to kind of replace him. Like making a serious point, you Brentford are used to now losing their best players, and like I'll ask you guys, do you think if you would go back in time and give back twelve million pound for Hogan and give back nine million plus add-ons for Gray and take them back to Brentford, would you do that, or would you? Would you, would you change any of the players we've sold in the last couple of years, or are you happy with their replacements that we've made? And then, yeah, go on. Have, have yeah, a yeah, no, no, I mean, that's a very, that's a very good point. And, and I suppose a lot of people say, well, that's very easy to say in retrospect, you know, and you can make those retrospect moves now, but you have to keep on making those retrospect moves. And maybe at some time you're going to turn back and say, oh, maybe we shouldn't have, maybe if we kept him, or maybe we might have gone up that season. If we didn't, we should have got us 150 million. So when does the big gamble come? Because at some stage, there probably has to be either a big gamble or we're going to have to have a season like Huddersfield did, where you have loads of luck, all the players that come in who just do the business in one season and it's like, really, we've got in a load of loan players, we've got in the new players and they've all clicked at one time and we've got promoted. Because if you don't do that, we'll end up turning around players all the time. You know, we talk about elephants in the room quite a lot on this podcast and, you know, the, the biggest elephant in the room is always, always going to be the first season we were in this division was probably the best chance that we've had so far of getting to the top flight. And we were at a stage where things were going well and you know, we all know that reinvestment or extra investment wanted to be made in the team and for whatever reason it didn't happen. So you know, we, we are always going to hark back to the team where we finished fifth in the division, lost to Middlesbrough in the playoff as an amazing season. Could that, could that have been the one season that we, 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 we almost went for it, but we weren't allowed to? I've got, I mean, that's a very good point, because I think if you talk to some people, there'll be some sort of kind of gritted teeth. But I'm, I'm going to come back to that team, because this is interesting, because we're talking about sides, strengthening of sides, players and everything like that. 
that 2014-15 team, which is the year that we went up to the playoffs, we got to the playoffs. Um, Andre Gray, we, we had Pritchard, we had Hotter, you know, fantastic team. Um, we had a lot of momentum, we had a lot of buzz. We had, you know, we, we come up from the, the division below and we went kind of straight through. Um, and that was really great. Now, the question I'm going to ask you, and you work in this game and you've been doing this kind of stuff, are we, as a side now, stronger than that team because we say we're going to get stronger every window are we stronger than that team that year in 2014-15 that's that's an interesting question i it'd be great to pit the pit our team now against that team then and see who would beat each other if we played them in a match the question i would ask isn't who's stronger but which team's more valuable does our team now have more value are we worth more money than we were back then and I would probably say yes and it's a lot deeper as well back then we kind of had an 11 and our subs were kind of like Tony Craig and people who were like fine but not fantastic now so strength and depth yeah exactly strength and depth. now I believe we have every position covered and uh, Phil Giles said this the other day I, I think any position bar potentially right back with Dalsgaard because I'm not such a fan of Colin playing uh, not Colin uh, Clark playing right back but uh, that's a different argument but I think every position now if a player's playing badly or gets injured we have suitable cover um, yeah, I mean that's interesting. Slavy B. Yeah, no, I think when when you talked about um, Rasmus Ankerson saying that you know we 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 plan to get stronger in every window, it's actually quite an interesting window that we've just had because we you know we, we bought all very early on, didn't we? And we thought, my God, we got this fantastic squad, and then we sold three of our sort of best players. And it'd be interesting to see round the table whether you think with this just this window have we got stronger. Because I believe we probably have, because we've also made money out of it as well. So it's strength money. Yeah, well, I, th- I think we, we we need to make that money, don't we? Every every season, because we lose money in financial fair play, etc. So if you want to pay players' wages, you need to make that money. So we, we that's what we've done, I believe, this season. Yeah, hundred percent. I I believe strength is money. I think they're the same thing. I think each player and Brentford talk a lot about players having values. I think. It, I say it again, it is almost like stocks in a portfolio in the kind of the stock market. And, you know, all of our players are young, hungry, and I know we'll get on to other teams' signings in a minute, but you see Villa signing like John Terry and Glenn Whelan and people on huge wages. Like, they're paying for past performances. Like, they're not going to keep performing at a high level for too long, whereas all of Brentford's players' best performances are yet to come, if you see what I mean. Like, Ollie Watkins, he's got so many great years, and so has Canyos and we've got so many young players who are just going to get better and then to be honest we'll probably sell them in three years time our squad our team will look completely different but that's what the model's all about is just selling them when they get good and then buying young and then just keep upgrading in value and in uh, ability I mean I'd, I'd like to ask a question how do you know when you're buying a player that you're not buying somebody on a lucky streak I mean in the way that Oxford bought Andy Scott for us we knew he was crap right but he had this lucky streak we scored 17 goals coming in off the wing and do we buy players? I mean, like players like Hoffman, who, who don't work out. Yeah. Is it because they were a lucky streak, or they just didn't develop, or what? Yeah. What is it? You just you just got to be aware, I guess. You just got to look out for luck, and I think Brentford are. But there's no way of telling whether a transfer is going to be good or bad. Like obviously, even Brentford and Benham have had their failures. Like Hoffman and kind of Goggia was a bit, and then Kirschbaum was like the jury still out on. Um, but you just got to be aware, and I think like Ravi Venter. Yeah, yeah, happy event. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, you've just got to kind of 
I think our, our, our whole system, and I don't want to keep promoting my book, but what the book outlines is kind of a system where you can dispel luck and actually tell who is good, who's bad, like both teams and players. I, th- I think as well, um, it's, I, I find as I get older, it's best not to um, issue kind of T-shirt slogan sound bites. Um, every season or every transfer window we're going to get stronger that's only ever going to get used against you yeah. it, it really is and <laughs> Mon- money's not our god well, money's not our god is the, the other one is you know yeah money's not our god until it becomes your god you know until it becomes your survival then it, it becomes your god um and then obviously manners <laughs> yeah, there's always manners. I mean, manners is just like, always just there. It's, it's a constant, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so not, not Val. No. So listen, but coming. So listen, but coming back to the, we're talking about players and we're talking about the team now. So it's interesting because there's a, a, a little article that's floating around up there, which was analysing um, the Brentford players and trying to say whether or not they were successes, whether or not it's work in progress, whether or not they're failures. So it's interesting who we side. So what was deemed as on pitch successes Lasse Vibe Maxim Collin Ryan Woods Romain Sawyers Dan Bentley Sergi Canos so like I said it's an opinion piece that's out there again positive signs John Egan Johan Barbe Rico Henry Nilden Malpe Ollie Watkins Kamo Makochko Josh McKittrin and Andreas Bielend Henrik Dalsgaard and Luke Daniels the player with the jury's out. There's only one that was put out for that, which is Constantine, Constantine Kirchbaumer. A profitable flop, so something that didn't really work out for us, but we made money on him, is Aki uh, Gogia. Um, a low-cost flop was Ryan Williams, which probably most people forget about that, but I think we got him from Morecambe, and we free bought transfer. him yeah, free transfer, and we tried him out on some free-kick thing. It didn't really work out. And an expensive flop was Philip Hoffman, which I can't remember how much we signed him for. Um, I think it was less than a million euros. It might have been that, that amount of money, but we, there's no way we're going to get the money back for him. So that was deemed as a, as a, as a loss for Brentford, the fact that they lost a million euros. Um, I pretty much agree with all of that, actually. The, the one I would really say was wrong, I, I think Johan Barbe is an, a non-pitch success. I wouldn't have him down as a, a positive signing. I would have him as an absolute success. Well, Bielen is a positive sign as well as Barbe. And I'll be loyal to him. I think Constantine Kirschbaumer is a better player than we will remember. I think he's a very good player. He's still unknown. He's still us. I was disappointed that he went back, if I'm honest. I think his first dozen games for us were underwhelming. But you've got to let these people acclimatise. And you know, I, I think I think the tail end of the the back end of that season before last, he had a real real connection with um, Hogan, and he, that that five one game at, uh, at Huddersfield, the two of them were just on the same wavelength, and I, I thought I thought I thought there was there was something there, and I and, and hopefully he'll come back. And I'm, I'm just wondering, were you were you that, that smart odds when Karch, when the Kirchbaumer thing was floating around, or was that just a little bit before your time? That was that was before my time. But Ted, Ted Knutson actually wrote an excellent piece. You should all go check it out on uh, the kind of the kind of inside story of how they signed Kirchbaumer. And yeah, I, I, I for one think he's actually like a really good player. But I'm not sure if he quite fits into the system we play in now. Like he was great with Hogan, like sliding him in behind and finding those like key passes into the final third. But uh, I'm not sure if he fits into the kind of like uh, four, two, three, one we now play. 
I'll actually go back one step further as well and, and say Jurisin was probably a better player than we saw as well because before he, he got injured before he got injured at Blackburn but we he was always after you could see his body language he was always on the shoulder of the last defender he was angling for the ball to be played into him no one ever gave him the service he, he was asking for and maybe Woods would have seen it maybe maybe Kirschbaum would have seen it but he, he was there looking looking eyeing the ball to go to to, to go where he wanted it to and no, no one no one saw it and um, you know I think you know it's a missed opportunity probably and listen a missed opportunity and listen I'm talking about this list here as well I mean you had a little mosey over that list as well I mean how did that pan out um, in your stats article, because I said to you, you know, your job was, was looking and collating data. Okay, maybe it might have been Azerbaijan, but you, obviously you, you, you that, that's the skill that you have. So looking at a pl- these players here, what, what is your vibe? I don't really deal in player data, to be honest. I'm more dealing team data. And, it, and even then, it wasn't kind of like analysing leagues and stuff. It was just collecting match data. Like they would literally give me a match to watch and I would just collect data on it and I wouldn't I wouldn't really draw any conclusions, but I, th- I think my opinion of the list, I don't have really too many problems with it. I think Daniels, the jury's definitely out on the goal, our new goalkeeper. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Like I think he's probably better than Bonham, but he did. A, he, I don't think he was very good in pre-season. He looked, he was a bit nervous. Um, what was the other one? I had one more. Yeah, I mean, let's say Vibay. No, I mean, let's say right up the top there. Yeah, as well. You know, you got Goggia. I mean, it's interesting the Ryan Williams scenario. I mean, you, you, did you know about that? And how that, I mean, the, the smart odds thinking behind that and the smart odds spoke Brentford thinking? Well, this is interesting, actually. I think one of the pieces of football which Benham really thinks is undervalued is, uh, like, the striking of the ball. And a lot of, like, jokes have been made about Brentford and their, like, free kick routines and stuff. But basically, set pieces are massively undervalued in football. Kind of, uh, Ankerson did an interview a couple of months ago which said, kind of, you know, 25% or, like, 30% of goals are scored in football from set pieces so why do teams not spend 25% 30% of training time trading these set pieces when they probably spend like 5% and in any other business that's a huge inefficiency and in football is as well so um, Ryan Williams they signed because he was really good at kicking the ball and basically struck it with dip and made it go down and up rather than side to side I, I write about all this in the book it's hard to explain in person but it's interesting because Marcondes looks like a similar signing he's one of those signings who he strikes the ball really well and I, the first thing I did when we signed it was Google him and there's a YouTube video in Danish about him kind of striking a ball into the top corner and like teaching his Danish audience how to kick the ball and stuff and I think he's definitely got a lot more about him than Ryan Williams did Ryan Williams that was basically it and I, he was as Benham said like a very low risk with potentially high reward but it didn't really pan out but we didn't really lose much out of it Marcondes looks like kind of Ryan Williams but he's actually good at football kind of thing and I mean, he's, scoring, he's scoring goals for the team that's top of the Danish Super League higher than Copenhagen and Michelin and Bronby at the moment now so uh, it's probably it's probably no surprise that they, they wouldn't let him go early we, I don't say that because we don't know but I'm, I'm sure that Brentford probably tried to get him early after the hotter um, scenario um, to try and get early but he, he didn't turn up on the plane unfortunately um, because they're top of the league and they want to, to keep him um, We've had a few interesting free kick routines it must be said you know this doing star jump some press-ups and Morris dancing in front of the goalkeeper it doesn't endear you to the crowd in an away game let's be honest but the kind of the Brentford philosophy is all about finding these small edges and if unsighting the keeper you know gives him a second less to react then that gives you maybe a 5% better chance of scoring a free kick and you know that can make the difference if you end up scoring it but isn't it ungentlemanly? I mean, you know, there's there's there's, ma- there's, ma- there's manners. No, but there's manners, manners, isn't it? You know. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. I think, yeah, Manor's territory. Yeah, potentially, I think that's, yeah. Yes, it is. Basically, what you're saying is... Bill, basically, you always say want Brentford to play by this, like, Corinthian casual. Yes, that's right. Where where there's no such thing as... If it's a penalty given against you, just say, wave play on. That's right. They wear flat caps, you know, they've got a big hard ball. You know what I'm saying? And stuff like that. Because that is... That's what we do. We we hark back to old-school football, like, you know what I'm saying? And old-school ways. No, I don't. Actually, neither do I, actually. No, No, I look forward to the future, and I'm actually quite excited about it. Me too, as well, actually. I, I, I look forward to it more than you do I bet you don't <laughs> it's a bit like that debate on whether players should dive in the box if they feel contact go down because it's not technically diving but should you like go down easy to win a penalty if it's good for the team I don't know I mean it's true I mean I was at Wembley yesterday I was looking down from the top and there was one situation where I can't remember who it was it was Harry Kane or something like that they had the ball and they turned around and we all all around was like dive you know what I'm saying because he definitely I think a tackle came in and if he'd gone down 100% it would be a penalty and I think from, from the fans yeah. I need to ask this question yes when was the last time you went down anyway we'd be moving on <laughs> we'd be moving on but you know and it should have should have should have happened but it didn't do and I think from a fan's perspective it is something that you know you go I'm really angry if it happens but you kind of like if it happens to your side you kind of just turn a blind eye I mean, from a fan's perspective, do you remember when we had Clayton Donaldson? Remember when we didn't have Clayton Donaldson? Yeah. So when we had him, he'd go down, we'd win a penalty. Yay! Go, goes to Birmingham. First thing he does is go down under a really weak challenge. Um, Talking of going down in um, Aston Villa, I saw a really interesting video about John Terry's mum on... Um... Anyway, we'll move on, like I'm saying. You know, so... Yeah, yeah I think... Um, yeah... I just think John Terry's mum. But anyway, no, no, no. Listen, but look, look. Just coming back to it, we're talking about the team here. We're talking, ab- we're talking about the Brentford team here, and basically what we're saying is because what what we're trying to find out here is, and again, from your perspective, I know that you do team stats as well. But f- from what this this analysis here was saying is that basically most of the signings that we have made have been all right. And this is coming back to the point is, is the Brentford team that we've got now better than the Brentford team of 2014-15, which is seen as like one of the best Brentford teams that have been going at the moment now. Now, people turn around and say, well, we're 23rd in the league, so we can't be. But the other argument you've got to say is that it's the first week of the, you know, the first month. Um, we've had a lot, a lot of new players to bed in, you know what I'm saying? And uh, we've been really unlucky, which you want to talk about probably even a little and, bit and, more. And, th- and three players that have got their eyes on moves. You know, they're three, three players that have been in our first team pretty much all of the games we played or on the bench and um, they've, they've been looking to go away. So, so, so the question we're asking is, is this whole thing about the team and the potential and the, and the luck and where you're going and why you sign the players, uh, what we really want to know is that, you know, how, how is this, how, does, how in smart odds and the whole thing, how is this looking to shape up? Obviously, they'll turn around and say, we believe they're all going to be really brilliant, but really realistically on a scale of one to ten if ten is brilliant and one is really rubbish where do you think that they see this setup that we've got at the moment sitting um on a scale of one to ten i mean i don't know about on a scale of one to ten but you as as we were just saying kind of like the if you look at the flops i'd say i'd call hoffman a flop an expensive flop i wouldn't say there have been like kind of many others I, i'm probably missing one or two i'm sure there have been 
like mistakes. It's it's kind of like gambling. Like in gambling, you've always got to accept you're going to lose bets, but over the long run, you've got to win. Um, you're going to have flops. But if you think about the amount of successes we've had, the amount of size, we, the amount of players we've signed for, you know, like just to name a few, like Gray for five hundred thousand sold for twelve million, Hogan for seven hundred fifty thousand sold for twelve million. Uh, Jota signed for 1.5 million, sold for 6 million, and we probably could have got more for him if circumstances had been different. Kind of just so many players we've made so much money on. And- okay, but I'm going to come back to this again, and this is like a very important point, I think a very important point in football fans. So, do you rate, is, is, is success strictly rated on basically how much money you make on a player? Is that, is that what success is about now in football? No, but for Brentford, who are competing on a limited budget, if we don't keep upgrading and don't you know, football is all about upgrading your squad and like that's why we need to be better after every window. But if Brentford don't do that and don't aim to keep making more money, then we we will go like to pot, essentially. I think you're onto something here, Bill. This some rating players one to ten, this algorithm that you've patented, <laughs> I reckon you're really onto something. That's there. actually how Benham does it. Just, he rates players out of 1 to 10 and then says we should sign him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you something, as you know, I mean, I mean, I've, I've been selling my secrets, you know what I'm saying? They come down the pub here, I'm sitting in the corner, they give us a fiver and I just say... I'm a 1 in 10. That's right. Yeah, I mean, can I just say that looking back three years ago when we were buying players like Gray for 500,000, Hogan for 750, now we're buying players um, for 1.5 million. And I think that that's the difference, that we are upgrading the quality of the players. I don't think that is all just inflation. I think we are upgrading the quality of the players that we are buying them. The market's moved as well, though, yeah, massively. Ma- yeah, the market's moved, but you know, we are clearly buying better calibre of players. You know, the, risks, the risks are still the same, but they're risks on better players, you know. I think well, I think we did. You know, I think Bielend is probably one that could be a failure, but that's for no other reason apart from him getting horrendously injured in his, you know, his, his first competitive game for the club. But interestingly, Bielend and Delsgaard were in the Danish team who smashed Poland four 0 You know what I'm saying? And you know, and Poland had what Lewandowski, you know, uh, up front for them. And they just they they held them out, you know, and then they they won again at um, Armenia. We actually we had a, if you check out on Twitter as well, we had a, one of our bees boys out there in Armenia actually watching that game, and he just said that um, then Denmark absolutely outclassed them in that match. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I said earlier in the podcast how sort of underwhelmed I am by England, um, but you know, England are perceived as a, as a way better caliber of player than than Denmark. Why I'm not quite sure. You know, everyone tells us how there's no such thing as an easy international game. We know there isn't because the last time England could comprehensively wipe the floor with anyone half decent was a long time ago. Um, but Denmark have, have, have done a real job on, on Poland. And I, I would argue probably a job that England wouldn't have done. And they've done it with two players, Dalsgaard and Bielend, who are kind of under some sort of... Question mark. Question mark from from you know and yeah of course you know they, they still need to prove themselves but if Denmark are you know really pushing for World Cup qualification um, with those two um, then they 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 are going to be good players for Brentford it's, it's unquestionable which is all good listen we're going to come back and afterwards we're actually going to talk about opposition because we've got Aston Villa coming up at the weekend and we need to know what's going on with the opposition what people think of the opposition and what. My man here, James, thinks of the opposition here with his analytical head on. The opposition. It's all about the opposition. What are they doing? What are they doing to compete against us? What are we doing to compete against them? 
Who are they buying? Who are they selling? Who are they playing? We've got no idea. Yes, we do actually, because we've been looking at them and we're not very happy. But we've got James here and he knows everything about the opposition, especially Aston Villa. Because on Saturday we're playing Aston Villa and we've come out of a month which hasn't been the best month for Brentford on paper. But if you see the way they play, they've been playing some wicked football. So on Saturday, is it going to be retribution time for the Villa? Have we been buying right? Have we been doing the right things? Have we got the right players who haven't quite peaked? But on Saturday, they're going to peak. Have Villa been buying and spending all sorts of ridiculous amounts of money and drying their hair, as they have been doing, like, you know, John <laughs> Terry in the corner there? Um, James, what are you saying? I, d I don't know too much about Villa and their kind of specific transfers, but obviously what I do know and what you know is that they have a lot of money. They're spending over £950,000 a week on wages, which is like six times more than we are. They could bankroll our team six times over, to put that in perspective. Um, and, but, but, but their transfer activity is very different to ours. They're a club because they have so much money, they don't really need to think like, smartly. When We always hear the analogy, you know, Goliath doesn't need to like, update his methods or think like in a clever way when he fights against David because he can just outmuscle him like and that's what Villa do just outmuscle teams financially and if they don't go up this season honestly uh, I just can't I just can't see them not going up um, like based on their wage bill at least their, their team I think has a lot to be desired they've been p paying money for players like John Terry and Glenn Whelan who you're, I think I said earlier you're paying for past performance rather than future performance which is the exact opposite of what Brentford are trying to do they're trying to build and invest money whereas Villa aren't well, I've got to have to stop you here because you said one point which I think is very pertinent I cannot see Villa going up because of the money that they spent now I'm not being funny no, I can't see them not going up can't see them not, not sorry not going yeah, up yeah. because the money they spent but look as far as I'm concerned it ain't about the money you spend it's about how you spend your money so at the end of the day yeah. they may be spending £951 million a week on players but if you ain't spending it right you ain't going nowhere so this is this is and this comes back to this whole argument about buying and selling and making profits and where is this all going you know what i'm saying if villa have more money does that mean that they have the right to go up and does that they mean they have the right to do things that we don't have to do at one moment we're saying well we spend our money better than you so we're kind of going to do better than you but on the other hand we're saying well because you spend more money you got more money than us you should be doing better than that better than us I'd say two things. I'd say, firstly, luck plays a huge role. So, and again, I don't sound boring about this, but you can spend loads of money and still not go up just because you've been really unlucky, and that that will happen definitely. Um, but you can also be spend loads of money yeah, and be rubbish. Yeah, and you can spend no money and still be fantastic, like kind of um, Huddersfield. Huddersfield, or yeah, or uh, Huddersfield, or yeah, Burton did fantastically. But I think that yeah. No, exactly. It's really interesting, but I think Villa, just the wages they pay and the players on their squad, they they've got they basically cherry picked the best championship players. They got Hogan from us, Kodjia from Bristol City, you know, Huahan from Barnsley, was it? Yeah, yeah. They just cherry picked the best championship players, and if you, if if you can't go up by doing that, then well, okay, I'm going to come back to you. But is a team of individuals. And, and you've got a team of individuals as opposed to a team of, of, of people that play together. You know, what, what, what's the difference? Villa at the moment now, you said they have cherry-picked the best players. But does that necessarily make a good team? Do they gel together? Do they play together? Barnsley have, have got players who, like every year, people think Barnsley, like us, are going to go down. They sell their players. Houlihan's gone to them. But all of a sudden, you know, 
Next week they'd come back and, oh, Barnsley, oh my God, they've just beaten somebody else 2-0. Now, the fact is that because they played together as a team, they've got mentality, they've got something that teams like Villa don't have. And I'm coming back to this whole thing when you talk about if you just, if you, if you differentiate metrics and money and all this kind of stuff as opposed to other things within football, right? And this is is quite a pertinent point as opposed to passion and heart and togetherness and vibe and fandom and all this kind of stuff. How much do these things play a part to a football club as opposed to, at the moment now, everything that you do, you look at facts and figures and, 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 and metrics and what's happened and... Those may be great, but how much do these other things contribute? Because we feel that we've got a lot of this at Brentford. Mm. And I think Barnsley might do as well, and probably Burton might do. They're a lot poorer than these other clubs, but they still give them a good whipping every now and again. So you tell me, what do these things put into the equation? It's very hard to quantify things like... uh how well a gel a team gels together and stuff like that, and I think a, a kind of interesting comparison is Harley Dean. Like you, you guys spoke last week about how you know we sold him for two point two million, but he, his value is more than actually he's a leader and stuff. And I guess I guess that is where you need that kind of where stats doesn't cover it, and you do need that human input, and you need to actually see what's happening to also like gain information. I feel sorry for Aston Villa. I, I, I have to say I feel sorry for their fans. Um, they look, to me, Aston Villa just seemed like a, a dinosaur going through these death, death throes. Um, they, they're not equipped, they weren't equipped for the Premier League because they, they just got their business model wrong, they got their recruitment model wrong, and now they're not really equipped for the Championship because they think they can outspend everyone. And they can, they can buy, they can buy players for ridiculous money, but they go there for the wrong reasons. They go there just for the money, and I, I know you know I produced a book for Aston Villa last year, and I got to know Aston Villa fans quite quite well, and n- none of them enjoy being Villa fans at the moment. They 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 look to us for uh, for inspiration. Um, they 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 are educated football fans on the whole. Um, the ones that the ones that don't spout the teams like Brentford, we should be beating teams like Brentford. The ones that actually know their football realise that we are the ones with the future, and they're the ones with the history. And sometimes it's it's better to have the future. I think for me, um, you can you can look at uh, Derby last season. They looked like a you know they had some really top players, but they looked like a team where you felt that they'd. The players had got there and achieved what they wanted. They'd had their big meal. And I think our players are hungry. And I think that's the difference. Our players can see another step. They can see somewhere else to go to get more of what they're after, whether it's glory, premiership football, money, or whatever it is. But at Derby and Aston Villa, they go there and they've got what they've wanted. And therefore, there's nothing else yeah. to play for. They don't care if they play or not anymore. I talk about John Terry... John, John Terry has not gone to Aston Villa for anything other than a, a kind of a lazy payday. You know, he can put whatever spin he wants on it. You know, he can talk about Champions League. He can talk about X, Y, Z. He can talk about Pele. He can talk about his mum. So, so I mean, so we're talking about again. We're talking about Aston Villa, about other teams as well in the Championship. Um, I'm going to come to James as well because it's just quite interesting to see what the thoughts are. I mean, I know you talked about Leeds and Huddersfield last season. You you mentioned a luck a lot, 
right? Luck. I mean, there's one thing we say about Brentford now. If we want to say it, you know, we go out there and say we haven't been very lucky this season. So that's the reason why we're not where we should be. And maybe instead of being 23rd, we could have been 15th or, or 12th or 7th or, as you say, 8th. Now, it's about luck. And luck may spin itself over a season or two seasons or five seasons or four weeks. I don't know. Last season, I heard that, um, that Reading, the vibe in your circle was that Reading didn't deserve to be where they were and that came actually from a Reading fan who heard it he said from from that kind of like you know that that geeky little statty circle that's going out there they don't think that we should be where we are and also the same thing for Huddersfield who should have been lower when they were and also for Leeds United you know whereas Fulham were again maybe they were thereabouts but Wolverhampton Wanderers were actually lower in position than when they should have been that season now they'll talk about that a little bit yeah, I mean, it's kind of coming back to the um, thing we discussed at the, right at the beginning about expected goals and h- how do you really define how good a team is and how do you tell what's just luck, which teams are being lucky and which are actually skillful. Um, last season, certainly, Reading uh, were much like better in the league table than they actually performed. Like, okay, when you say much, how much? I, I, I can't give you an exact figure, but kind of... I heard that they were really 18th when they oh, were... Really? Yeah, okay. but I heard they were about 18th when they, their league position was you, about third or fourth. heard they were three out of ten. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah, I, yeah I, I don't have an exact model, but yeah, I think that's right. I think... But at the end of the day, the league table does lie. Kind of the league table isn't this like Bible where you look at it and think, you know, we came eighth, so therefore we're better than the team who came ninth. Like the league table does lie. Like bad teams sometimes play like get good results, and good teams sometimes get bad results. It's all about, you know, if you were, I don't know, this is a really weird analogy, but if you were to make a film about football, it'd be kind of like the superhero is skill, but then the evil villain is luck trying to like take down skill and like murking the waters and stuff. And yeah, that's that's what it's all about, and that's what my book's all about. Is trying to like gauge maintain an accurate gauge of team and player performance and luck is just damaging your your book is about good over evil exactly (laughs) and and, and who wins Uh, I mean read it and find out Ah, (laughs) Reading (laughs) 1-2-1 they didn't deserve it that's right so so listen so coming back to it so you know we've talked about I mean Borough Borough they've got ridiculous amounts of money so um, the, the question we ask about them is that are they spending it in the right way is it a luck thing is it a skill thing they probably haven't started the way that they're meant to but as you say sample size is small so only four or five games that's nothing but how is it panning out for Borough I know that your family are big Borough fans so my, you've my done, girlfriend's family yeah your girlfriend's family are big <laughs> Borough fans so let's let's have a little bit of peep into Borough I mean have you had a little look at what's going on there I don't, I don't know too much I haven't looked at the specifics I know they've signed a Samba Longa for big money obviously uh, Braithwaite they've signed Braithwaite as well their, their attack does look class this season I think I think they'll definitely be a force but again kind of they, they've got the money to spend they don't have to be shrewd in their business they can just pay quite large wages and pay large fees and succeed that way but again they they say they can do they could do yeah. but at the end of the day the window's shut now so all these teams are now in place and for the next three or four three months or so they need to do their business before the window opens again so looking at it you know, who's good? Who's, I mean, for me, I mean, I put Norwich City down. I said, Norwich City, dead certain. You know, they've got the Huddersfield Town director of football in there who seemed to know what he was doing there, whether or not it was him or not, or whether it's somebody else, you don't know. And then we've got Farker come in from, I think it was Dortmund inside there. And they've had a nightmare. I mean, I, my Millwall weight said to me, they were absolute rubbish. And they played them the other day. They said they absolutely smashed them off the park. So 
Again, I've got no idea. I'm not a gambler. I don't know. But I've got it completely wrong so far. Okay, it's only five days into the season. You're but a camper, though. Yes, I do camp quite well, you know. So I'm just wondering, you know, where where is it at? And, and from your kind of view, from your eyes, who are you looking at to be doing the business and who are the jokers out there? I, th- I can't really offer any insight. special, yeah, any insight. No, I can't offer any, like... Unless I pay, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if you give me lots of money, I can. Yeah, no, um, I can't. I'm not a high roller. <laughs> money is not your god. Uh, money is my god, actually. <laughs> actually, money is not my god. Not this week. <laughs> no, no I, I, I don't know specifics. I feel like if I tried to speculate over teams, kind of individual players and stuff, I'd probably just get it wrong. But I think. By rule of thumb, you can look at the most wealthy teams and assume that they're in with the best chance. Like the teams you always think about are kind of Fulham. Like you think they'll return to the Premier League at some point. Unfortunately for Brentford fans, you think Villa have got to be up there. If Villa don't get up back up there in the next three years, I'd be incredibly surprised. Their stadium is huge. They are a Premier League team. Um, who? Well, yeah, Norwich, kind of Middlesbrough. They're all the teams who are going to be about it, really. I think. I, I, I can't offer any like unique insight, I'm afraid, into. But but I can I can talk a little bit about their um kind of approach to signing players yeah. and stuff because well, they. Well, that's what's, well, that's what we're interested. in. Yeah. So like um Middlesbrough, for example, like uh, you shared an article a couple of months ago, or maybe even a year ago now, about how about Middlesbrough's kind of statistical recruitment policy, and the way conventional clubs do it is they pay companies like Prozone or Opta to buy their stats and then derive their own conclusion from these stats. But these stats are quite basic. They're kind of they're kind of passing percentages like um, obviously jewels, right one, kind of like st- stuff like that. Um, Brentford are unique in the sense that we own smart odds, like that's Matthew Benham's company. We don't have to pay for stats to use. Um, so we which is great because we can cultivate our own stats, we can you know do our own thing. We don't And we don't share it. Yeah, exactly, and it's, it's unique to us. We've got a completely unique approach. The only other two clubs in the country who have the same approach is Arsenal, who bought Stat DNA back in 2012. But they haven't used them, have they? Uh, well, I, it's quite, again, it's so hard because every club is so secret, so you just hear kind of rumours and stuff. But I, I, I've I've read rumours that kind of Wenger is in a little bit of kind of a, a bit of a loggerhead with this, and kind of signings like Perez were signed using Stat DNA and. and uh, Who's that? Like El Neni or someone uh, was signed using Stat DNA, but he doesn't really like. He didn't like playing them and stuff. But yeah, so there's, there's Stat DNA who kind of work for Arsenal. Right? Sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move no, on. No comment. No comment. But um, and, and also Brighton, who are very similar to Brentford. It seems like their owner Tony Bloom owns a company called Star Lizard, which is also in North London, quite close to Smart Art. And this was in the article again that I wrote yeah. as well. Put the link there. Yeah, no, 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 no. Go and check out that besotted article because it is, it is excellent. But um, yeah, and and they use stats, I think, to sign players. It's the same kind of thing. They they Star Lizard collect stats and sell it to high rolling clients, and then use those stats. I think probably sign players. But the one difference is Tony Bloom is a, you know, he's got yeah so much more money than Benham does. Like they they didn't really have to think that differently because they could just spend their way to the top. But, but they were two. I mean, from what I can gather as well, that they used to be business partners or they used to work together back in the day, yeah. and their business that they run is quite similar as well. So Star Lizard, and I might be wrong because I don't know anything about them. Because if you try and do a Google it, you don't know really what they do. They're very very secretive and. One thing I said to you before, I said beforehand, is that the difference is, my love, is that 
when we put in the press release when the Mark Warburton left about we're going to use stats and the world killed us about it what the killer thing about it is that there's all these other companies that, that use it including Brighton who obviously got promoted this season as well and like Middlesbrough who got promoted as well the season beforehand um, maybe Huddersfield did I don't know but there's loads of other clubs that actually use it West Ham use it yeah. you know every club uses stats to a certain extent certainly now like there's like it's no club relies just on traditional scouting but it's kind of how far along you've gone and Brentford really are pioneers in the statistical analysis kind of recruitment area like most clubs will look at like standard stats and try and draw conclusions from that and stuff but Brent, Brent and again I keep talking about expected goals and you you probably don't understand that you're probably really bored of me banging on about it but go and check it out because honestly that is what makes Brentford complete pioneers and gives us the edge so, so what, what do you say to Brentford fans that just don't get it or don't understand or just it's off their radar or they just are demanding success without giving um, a 360 degree proper, under, you know, a, a proper realistic gauge on where we are in the football hierarchy? You know, Brent, there's a lot of fans that think we should be challenging for the Premiership without without actually understanding how we how we've got to where we've got. I mean, wait, again and, and, and again and just following on with that question, basically, I mean, we ain't got that much money, right? We ain't got that much advantage. Where would we be without this stats outlook? If you put it just down to financial situation we would be in a relegation fight every year I think the problem with Brentford is we've almost been the architects of our own downfall in the sense that we've been so successful like we came out of the championship and immediately gained fifth and I think that set the bar so high and fans just immediately thought oh we should be challenging playoffs every year like if we didn't have this system Brentford would be with you know in the same category as kind of Burton like scrapping for relegation I reckon Burton will get relegated here, and I think all the bookies don't think everyone does but kind of, we are the same kind of club as them like we're, we've got the two smaller stadiums in the championship. We've got the least amount of money. But our kind of recruitment has been so good that it's allowed us to massively overachieve. The problem is Brent fans don't really realise we're overachieving because it's always been that way. There's never, it's never... I mean, it hasn't always been that way. It hasn't always been that way. In the last four years. Have you ever been to Altrincham or... You know? <laughs> But I mean, since we came up, I think if our our first year in the championship would come, you know, 21st, just avoid relegation, and then come up to ninth, everyone would have been like, bloody hell, like, we had such a season, we're so good. But because we came fifth, I mean, obviously it was great we came fifth, but everyone kind of just assumes that we're going to be up there and that we're a good team. Like, I don't think anyone truly realised the extent to what we're punching above our financial weight. So punching in front of our weight. So this is another question we asked. So basically, and let's just get it out there. We are financially struggling against our competitors. Are, is that correct? Yeah, we certainly were. I say now we're in a much better position because we've got so many assets in the players we have, and they're all worth quite a lot. Like if you if you put a value on every Brentford player, like we'd have certainly enough money to be a Championship side. It's just, yeah, it's just about upgrading your squad. I'd say, but no, but what I'm saying is that we're financially struggling. So, say for example, yeah, if we got a player like Hotter. Right again, we, we come back to him. Who? Yeah, he's saying no, but also, but we, we can't keep him. You know, we got a player like Hogan. We can't keep him. When we when our players become good, we can't keep him because we can't financially compete. Whereas Derby County, if they got a player that's good, they can keep him. You know, if Mid- Middlesbrough do it, they can keep him. You know what I'm saying? Wolverhampton Wanderers now they can keep him. So my what I'm trying to say is that maybe we need to kind of be a little bit more realistic. The fact that we cannot financially compete. Right? Let's just be honest and say we can't. We can compete on the pitch, so what we can't compete financially, but still 
we'll still match you on the pitch. And people go, oh my God, you know, you sold your player, but you're still beating us 3-0. So we can still be on the pitch, but we have to kind of get our heads around the fact that we're going to lose a player every two seasons, lose our best players every two seasons, which is kind of hurts a little bit. I, I think the philosophy which I'm trying to promote is that we should actually, and it sounds weird and you're probably all going to argue against this, but we should actually be excited about selling our best players. We should ex- be excited about trying to like get a great deal like I know we like you sell players at Hogan it's like oh we've lost a great player but we've also gained 12 million pounds we've all like 12 million pounds can pay for Andre Gray 24 times over what we signed him for do you, do you kind of see what I mean I do but and it's only great for us as fans if that actually turns into something else which is equally as good if it's rubbish then it means nothing to us, even though it's great for the... But in a way, even though it makes the, I mean, the club can survive a little bit longer, what we just want to do is that we just want to have fun and see players score and how to make people smile and all this kind of stuff. And that's all we, that's all we care about because we pay our money. We pay 20 quid, 25 quid or 15 quid through the door. And all we want to do is enjoy ourselves and, and enjoy our football. And these people make us enjoy our football. So we want them to just be there as, as much as possible. So as much as that is logical... Sometimes when we go there, we do logical when we do work during the during the week. But on Saturday, we don't want to do logical. But Matthew Benham isn't. This, this is his work. Like this is what he's got to do. He he can't say like, oh, Jota's like great to watch. Which Jota it was great to watch. But we can't say, oh, we'll turn down. We're essentially paying six million pound to keep him for one more season. The other thing I would say is Brentford. Brentford's reputation for letting players go and letting them uh, like kind of move on in their careers to greater clubs is what allows us to sign such good players in the first place. Like, we'd have no doubt said to Ollie Watkins, like, look at Hogan, look at Jota, or not Jota, look at Hogan, look at Gray, like, look at Odebarjo. Odebarjo uh, and Gray in particular competing in Premier League say, look, come to Brentford, we can make you really good and then we're happy to let you go on. And that, that's kind of part of our USP for signing players. This is where it's really difficult for us as regulars on the podcast because we actually put our names to our opinions and we, we do it regularly. So, you know, I, I'll go on record again as saying I'm genuinely excited about how we operate now. You know, I didn't... So when, I, when I became a Brentford fan, when I was taken to my first game, I didn't sign... I, I knew what I was signing up for. I, I knew I wasn't signing up for, at the time, QPR, who were up the road in the top flight. I knew I wasn't signing up for Chelsea, who were in the top flight and challenging for the title. I knew I wasn't signing up for Tottenham or Arsenal. I knew what I was signing up for... And it was Brentford. And Brentford have been, for better or worse, consistently shit for, <laughs> for, for all of my supporting life. And in the last five years, I am genuinely excited about the way it's going. And I'm not preaching for any regime per se, but this is the best chance we've got ever of, of actually achieving something. Record it, I'll be back. Just press it. Just press, press the... record. Yeah, I mean, personally, I'm I'm very excited when we sell a player. I mean, when we sold Harley Dean for 2.2 million, I thought, wow, who's going to be the next player that comes in? They might cost us a million, they might cost us a million and a half, but they're going to be better than Harley Dean. I mean, you look at Bidwell going, we, we sold Bidwell for 1.8 and we got Rico Henry for 1.5. Rico Henry, I mean, he's potentially an England player. You know, we've we've got a real fantastic player there, and I'm just really excited by that kind of thing. In so many ways, that we we we're still familiar with how the land lies. You know, we we in in the 40 years I've been a Brentford fan, 
um, we've always sold our better players. So that's, that's not changed. Um, what has changed is we've got a ridiculous amount of money for them where we gave them away for pittance before, and but we've replenished with three or four or five sometimes players that, you know, you, you almost like... You, you go again, but you've got five. You've got five times five times the talent that you had. That they're, they're not all going to work. Um, this is what excites me as a Brentford fan. Now is that we're still we probably aren't going to be at the top table ever, but what we can do is we can have a, a lot of fun getting there. The other thing to consider is I don't think Brentford are the only team. It's not like. I don't think Leeds can just keep their players if they want to, for example, because I, I bring in Leeds because of Chris Wood. Like, it's not like Leeds had the financial budget to keep him if Premier League clubs interested. Like, every club to a, per, uh, to a certain extent is like a selling club who will have their players poached, apart from perhaps you know the super clubs like Man United and Chelsea and the clubs with loads of money. Barcelona had to sell Neymar. Neymar. Yeah, 100%. So Brentford aren't... It's not like you know Brentford the only club of the sell, but this is a philosophy which should should be adopted by every club and every fan is that like you should sell your players, but only at the right price and preferably over the odds, which is what I think Brentford have done in recent season. And I think as well, you know, we we did the podcast last Thursday um, on transfer deadline day. You know, we were, we were a bit downcast. We were a bit. I think we were realistic. I think we were philosophical. I think we were lots of things. We were emotional. I think we were honest. And then, um, you know, we got the um, director of football, got Phil Giles, came out the next morning talking about the um, talking about a transfer window, and he spoke very, very eloquently and very, very, very honestly again about how it's the best possible scenario for Brentford is where you do your buying business very early in the window and you do your selling business right at the last minute where you 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 get you know you can leverage the most possible money for your assets yeah, and you know um, it's very difficult for for fans sometimes to kind of acclimatize themselves to this this new world and you know the one you know I, I just I, as I said you know I, I go back to me being excited the thing that makes me really excited about continuing to be a Brentford fan isn't about the failure of the past it's about the potential of the future and to to, 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 to grasp that potential of the future you have to kind of start to buy into or understand or at least try to understand the mythology mythology that's got you to, to where we are and that's not that's not licking up to owners. That's not that's not that's not being kind of itk with anyone in particular. It's just about grasping knowledge. You know, I always say to understand, you need to understand. And unless you try to kind of grasp what what all of this new world is about, then you're going to get lost. And that's not to say it's all right. You know, some of it might be witchcraft. You need to sort of dissimulate some stuff that that you think. Well, you know, to me, this word luck, the devil luck, um, I still don't quite understand or how you quantify, how you value, or how you put in luck into all these equations. Sometimes luck is luck, and sometimes luck is because you've judged it wrong. And I've got to say as well, and just coming back to that, and just for your last point here before we just go back and we think about the weekend and the games and how we're going to do, is uh, we talked a lot about you know stats and how we look at our business and the fact that you know we have stats and this is we're just different from everybody else. But how far do you go down the line before it becomes 
this whole clinical business versus you know a soul thing so you a football club to me is also it has to have a, some sort of a soul you know um i'll go to mk don's franchise fc as they call it and and there's no soul there you know maybe the fact that it's just you know it hasn't been born very long the fans that come here and it's very clinically marketed so what they do is they get people through the doors for whatever reasons they say right we need to get bums on seats bam 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 there they go so you go to that club and it hasn't really got a soul what it's got it's got a stadium full of people but there isn't a really a soul there, whereas football has been brought up with clubs with a soul. Now, Brentford is a club with a soul, and the reason why it's got a soul is for millions of years, we've done nothing. We've been rubbish, but people keep turning out week in and week out. Even Matt Benham turned week in and week out because we were rubbish, right? We're turning from a team who is rubbish to a team that potentially, we're not there yet, could be quite good. Now, how much do you do that and move to that next level without losing your soul? Or is this just an... Is this some sort of pie-in-the-sky idea about kind of trying to retain something that doesn't really exist? Or is there a way of us actually moving forward whilst retaining a soul, but also still doing the things that you're talking about? You know, these clinical things, these methodical things, selling the players and everything like that. Because to me, there's a lot of fear with a lot of fans thinking, we're going brilliantly and we're doing really well and we're going to a new stadium. But we also might be losing our soul because it's all, all becoming a little bit too clinical and thought out and all this kind of stuff. And we're forgetting about the things that made Brentford, Brentford. Yeah, it's, it's the same kind of argument as like, should players, you know, when, when, when Jota leaves, everyone kind of questions his loyalty. Personally, I don't, I don't think loyalty exists in football anymore. And it's the same kind of thing. F- football at the end of the day is a business. It is about money. Money leads to success. Um, for players and teams, like if you got offered a like promotion, like a better job in your field at a new company for four times the wages, you're not going to stay there for a feeling of loyalty to your current employers. It's it, but it's hard because football does have that emotive side where fans like literally like love their players, like they have such a passion for their team and that it's so. But running a club, you really do need to separate that passion and that soul, as you say, from the kind of a clinical kind of correct way of running a club I think I think fans sometimes uh, look a bit short term and I think what, what Brentford have been doing is two steps forward one step back and if you look at this window we did the two steps forward very early then we took the one step back and fans are struggling with that and I can understand that because it's very emotional and you know we just sold three of our sort of first team players and it's, it's a bit weird but um if you look look at the whole the whole sort of scape, and you look you know over a two, three, four year period, we've we've gone leaps and bounds, an absolute leaps and bounds. Um, as you know, I like my history as much as I like my future. And if we're going to be honest about Brentford's history, we have to say that we we haven't always been shit. We were brilliant between nineteen since we joined the league in twenty one to the end of the forties. Um, then we had the f- most of the 50s were okay in the second tier. Then the 60s and 70s were absolutely awful. The 80s were better. A bit of the 90s was good. The early 2000s was shocking. Um, and then since Benham's taken over, it's it's been amazing. Um, so you know, uh, there was a there was a, a correlation between 
when Harry Curtis took over in 26 and took us up to the top flight and where Benham and Warburton were in charge and it was it was uncanny the 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 the, the evolution of the club was almost parallel to, to how it was uh, you know three or four generations before that that's that's been derailed slightly now but we are in an infinitely better position than we have ever been since the early 20s and I that again that excites me we're on the cusp you know we were redeveloping Griffin Park at the same time with moving to a new stadium you know, we, we can we can talk about how we wish things were slightly different in terms of the scale of the stadium and wish we were getting 50,000 every week, but we're still Brentford and we're still alive. And, you know, it fills me with huge pride to, to feel that where, you know, I'm, I'm researching and I'm writing at the moment this, you know, the big book of Griffin Park and some of the stories I'm uncovering now from, from all the way through the eras, it, it shows you that Brentford Football Club is at the very heart, of, it's, it's part of the fabric of a, a community and that's not changing. We, we Brentford as a town, Brentford as a, as a county, uh, Brentford as a, as a borough and Middlesex as a county should be hugely proud of what we're doing. And um, you know we 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 are we're pushing for a champion for a Premiership place, and you know we we are we are just a, a fairly small Championship team still. So listen, this weekend we've got Villa. We've talked about Villa. Villa spending big, getting old school stars, old money, big money. We're little Brentford. We're going in there. The pub team, as Simon Chaitley said as well. Teams like you know, teams like Brentford pub team. You know, we will go on all about that. But that's how they view us. I was reading some Villa press as well, and they said, you know, Brentford are struggling. Villa should be smashing them, basically. What they're saying. So we're going inside there with um, a scenario where we're probably being, you know, because we've seen how we playing a little bit over underrated. Guys, how do you reckon we're going to do on Saturday, Aston Villa? Yeah, I think I think we'll do fine. I think we're a team of equal, if not better, quality to them. I think by the end of the season, I think Brentford, I think the team we have at the moment will, I think, we'll finish around mid-table, probably eighth or ninth. If we have good luck, we'll finish playoffs. If we have bad luck, we'll finish probably just below. That's how I think. On Saturday, I think they've got a team of star-studded players, and if we can if we can beat them, it'll be a fantastic achievement. But you know anything's possible and score prediction score prediction uh, uh, Brentford 2 Villa 1 I'll go for Savvy B uh, I'm going for a 1-1 one, one, but the um, the Villa fans will be drooling drooling after uh, Romain Sawyers by the end of the game <laughs> Delaney um, I think Brentford will edge it 2.13 to Villa's 1.14. Um, or, Expected goals? No, but on a different scale, I'd, I'd say Brentford are going to win it 5 out of 10 and <laughs> Villa are probably going to lose it 3 out of 4. That's not bad odds, actually. You know, And myself, Villa, and uh, someone's going to get smashed off the park. Gonna be me. Someone's going to get smashed <laughs> off the park, you know what I'm saying? And I think, I think Villa, Villa, they haven't had a great start to the season. You know, yeah, they beat Norwich, but other than that, they've been struggling a little bit. And we should have beaten somebody and we've got to beat someone. And I think Villa are going to get it, especially the Chaitley, those that were a pub team. So the pub team's going to come down to Villa, give them a 2-0 spanking 
at Villa Park on Saturday. I'll tell you what I did see getting a spanking the other day on YouTube. <laughs> no, anyway, we won't go on all about that anyway. So listen, this is the besotted Pride of West London podcast. We are at the Crossbeads pub here. They've been absolutely wicked. We've got James Tippett and he's got his pub. Just give us a, a last plug of your book. I know you've talked about it a lot through it, but just tell people what it's about or what its name is and when it, where, it, where you can get it from. It's called The Football Code, The Science of Predicting the Beautiful Game. And it's out on Amazon tomorrow, Thursday, today, as you'll be listening. Now. Today, right yeah, now. Yeah, 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 right, right now. now, right now, go to right Amazon. Now. Press the button. Follow, follow, follow us on Twitter. We've How much? Nine ninety nine. Click this button. There's cheaper, button. cheaper than a ticket to Griffin Park. Oh, oh, it's a controversial. Oh, yeah. Um, twenty is plenty. Twenty as well, yeah. 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 That's right. So listen, James, he's got his book, it's out now, The Football Code, go and get it. Amazon, great guy, and he's here as well, loves the bees, Probably and so. uh, bees fan, but he's written about that, but he's he, he's also impartial, you know, independent, as they say, you know, because we've all, <laughs> got, all got to be independent here, you know what I'm saying? And Leicester. And Leicester, indeed. So anyway, but listen, provide the West London podcast, we're looking forward to going to Villa on Saturday. We're going to go there on the train, we're getting there very early, we'll go into Birmingham as we normally do, we'll go to that pub on the roundabout, we'll have lots of fun with the Villa fans and We'll have a brilliant laugh as we say. Brilliant. Come on, you Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.